For this week and the next, we're going to take a break from our study in Galatians. Uh, We will come back to it after next week. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Historically, today is November 1st. Historically, November 1st, the church has celebrated, uh, or the closest Sunday to it anyway, the church has celebrated what was called All Saints Day. Uh, We're most familiar with that term now in All Hallows' Eve or Halloween. Uh, but the, originally, uh, November 1st was All Saints Day. It was a feast day to remember and to celebrate all the saints together. Now, in the, of course, the Roman tradition, particularly in the medieval period, saint was understood to be those super holy Christians, the extra special Christians who had earned so much merit from God that they actually had some left over to give to other people, which is bunk on so many levels. That said... The idea of celebrating the faithfulness of God, all that God has done in the lives of his people throughout the ages, that is absolutely worthwhile. We need regular reminders that the Lord is faithful to his people and that he even puts faithfulness in his people. In many Protestant churches, as, as we are doing, we've chosen to remember the old All Saints Days, the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Uh, With that in mind, we're going to look this morning at the Hall of the Heroes of the Faith from Hebrews 11. Uh, As always, this is God's Word, so let's ask Him to open our hearts and minds to His truth. If you're able, please stand while I pray. Remain standing while I read from Hebrews 11. I will, just fair warning, this is a longer passage this morning, so if you need to sit down for whatever reason, feel free. You're not going to hurt God's feelings. But let's stand as we pray, and if you're able, remain standing while we read. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, we do pray for your word to speak to our hearts and minds. We pray for your spirit to reveal yourself in it, that we might give you glory. For if your spirit is not present among us, though we look at your holy word, we will, in our sin, we will certainly misunderstand and twist it so that it means what we want it to mean and not what your truth actually is. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would restrain our sin. Speak your truth in this your word into our hearts and minds that we might be wholly glorifying to you. We pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. As I said, I'm reading start at the, starting at the beginning of chapter 11. I'm actually going to read into chapter 12. So this is God's word. Now, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of that which is not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. 
By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab The prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight." Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts, and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Be seated. Everyone has heroes. Now, often in this day and age, when somebody talks about a hero, we tend to think first of superheroes, mostly probably because of the prevalence of superhero movies, Batman and Iron Man and the Avengers, and that list could go on and on and on forever. At least it seems like it over the last 15 to 20 years. The utter dominance of that type of movie at the box office has ensured that when we think of heroes, they most often have some sort of magical, mystical power that allows them to do more than you or I possibly could. But if we're honest, most of us have real, actual, real-world heroes too, men and women who knew us personally. And while the rest of the world may never know their names, we remember them and we honor them. For me, it's Dr. Norman Peter Johnson, or as I knew him, Dr. J., uh, he was my scoutmaster for most of my teenage years until his death in, I think, 1999. Uh, he faithfully cared for young, the young men of that troop week in, week out, giving of himself, of his time, of his energy to train us, to disciple us. I am who I am today because he spent literally years discipling me and a and hundred other like me. And I expect most of us could tell similar stories. People that the world doesn't know, but who God has used in our lives in massive ways. The truth is that every community has those to whom it looks up. Heroes who embody the characteristics that define the best aspirations of the group, the best of us. For Christians, of course, we look up to God first. Uh, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three persons in one God, God alone is the true hero. If you read a passage of Scripture and find yourself thinking that somebody other than God is the hero of that passage, go back and start over because you did it wrong. In every passage, in every story, without exception, in every moment in all of human history, God alone is the hero. We see what he accomplished in history and in the lives of his people as we see his faithfulness reflected in their faith. We rightly call certain people heroes of the faith. These are people who, because the Holy Spirit at work in them and in their lives, they stood firm for the faith in difficult, in even what we might call impossible circumstances. They held the promise of from God as more valuable than anything this life could offer, more valuable even than life itself. 
As I said, Hebrews 11 is sometimes called the hall of the heroes of the faith, the list of people from biblical history who endured by faith, who stood firm for Christ even before Christ had come. Incidentally, that's what's meant in verses 39 and 40 there when, he's, when he says, they did not receive what was promised. That is, Christ had not yet come in their lifetime. They had the promise of God, but they did not live to see the fulfillment But, verse 40, we have received something better because we have seen Christ, the Son of the living God. We have received the promise. As an aside, we know from reading the Old Testament that the Old Testament believers received the first fruits of the promise. They were given the land, they were made into a nation, and they were blessed by God and used by God to bless the surrounding nations, at least in as much as they obeyed the Lord's commands. But all of that blessing was just the barest hint of the first foretaste of their true hope. Something that many Israelites in Jesus' day had forgotten. But the difference between the first fruits that had been received and the fullness of the promised blessing was then and in fact even today remains. The difference between those two things remains dramatic enough that it is accurate to say, for the author here to say, that they didn't receive what was promised. Anyway, looking at those who have stood firm in the face of every conceivable attack on their faith and proved by their lives and by their deaths that Christ was faithful, when we look at that testimony, we can only be encouraged in our own walk with Christ. There is deep value in recognizing that the momentary struggles of my life, no matter how dire they are, The momentary struggles of our lives are just a small piece of the work of Christ in the world. That he has made us a part of something far greater than we would otherwise have been. When we see his faithfulness in the midst, in the lives of other people, we are encouraged in our own lives. Especially when when we see his faithfulness in the lives of people in dire straits, in impossible circumstances. To see that we are not alone gives us strength to continue, strength to trust Him more. But is this the end of this record? Is the record preserved here in Scripture, is that the end of this list? Or could we continue it? A few years ago now, I came across a a display that was looking at the history of of the church since the New Testament. Part of that display was a cenotaph, a monument, a marker, uh, looking at a list of men and, peop- men and women who, by faith in Christ, because of their faith in Christ, have endured persecution even unto death. Of course, that listing included those that we would expect. Peter crucified and crucified upside down because he re- did not consider himself worthy to be killed in the same way that Jesus was. Included uh, Paul, of course, beheaded in Rome. Stephen, stoned while proclaiming Christ's resurrection, which we see in Acts. It included, of course, as well, some of the less well-known apostles. Thomas, he of the doubting fame, uh, speared to death by Hindu priests in what is now India. Philip, crucified and stoned, both. James, stoned to death in Syria. Matthew, beheaded in Ethiopia. Simon the Zealot, sawn in half 
while bringing the gospel to North Africa in about A.D. 74. Andrew, crucified in Greece. Of the twelve, of the twelve, only John escaped execution. And he was tortured and exiled to the island of Patmos off the coast of modern Turkey. But these we expect, right? We expect the men that, got, that Jesus himself trained, that walked with him on earth, that Jesus chose to lead us. Of course we expect them to be faithful to death. Of course we do, right? But the list continued. Polycarp, who had been directly discipled by John, was arrested by the Romans in the mid-150s. He was told that he would be released to go about his life if he would merely declare that Caesar is Lord and Jesus is not. He is said to have responded, 86 years I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? At which point the Romans tried to burn him at the stake, but the flames wouldn't touch him. And so then they ordered the centurions to stab him to death. Justin Martyr, about the same time period, was scourged and then beheaded. By faith, he told the executioner, you can kill us, but you cannot do us any real harm. Ignatius of Antioch, before being martyred in the second century in the Colosseum in Rome, by faith said, now I begin to become a disciple. Come fire and cross and grapplings with wild beasts, the rending of my bones and body, only let it be mine to attain to Jesus Christ. He wasn't exaggerating. That list was what he could expect to face in the Colosseum. Likewise, Perpetua and Felicity in 203 AD, two teenage girls who by faith embraced martyrdom in the Colosseum. Likewise, Telemachus in 404. Origen, the pastor and teacher who was tortured for his faith and shortly after died, for, died of his wounds. Blandina, who was trapped in a net and trampled by a bull. The 40 Roman soldiers in the early 300s AD who were made to stand naked on a frozen lake until they would acknowledge Caesar as the only Lord. By faith, by faith they held the Lordship of Christ as of greater value even than their lives and to a man froze to death. Valentine, who we misremember in February, by faith professed Christ and was beaten with clubs and then beheaded. Boniface, who in the 750s, at age 75, went to what is now modern Germany to, as a missionary to, to proclaim Christ and was killed by the locals for defying their gods. Alban, the first martyr in Britain, and the second was the executioner who the executioner ordered to kill him who after hearing Alban's testimony became a Christian on the spot and was martyred next to him. Gellert who by faith proclaimed Christ in Eastern Europe and was captured by pagans in 1046 stabbed, trapped in a barrel and thrown in the Danube River to drown. Alphage Archbishop of Canterbury was caught by the Danes in 1012. They demanded a ransom of gold to release him. By faith, he replied that the only gold that he could give them was the word of God. They beat him to death. Now, we expect stories like this when we read about the bad old days, right? 
We think about the Middle Ages, we think that they are brutal and awful and, and we expect it. But what about more recently? In the 1900s, there was an up, the early 1900s, there, or excuse me, in 1900 itself, there was an uprising in China, the Boxer Rebellion. Not against the government, but against Christians. Horace Pitkin was killed while trying to defend two other missionaries. After being captured by the rebels, Lizzie Atwater said, By faith, I am preparing for the end very quietly and calmly. The Lord is wonderfully near, and he will not fail me. She was eventually hacked to death and her unborn child with her. In the late 1800s, 45 men, Catholics and Protestants, both were rolled tightly in combustible leaves and burned to death in Kampala, Uganda. James Chalmers was killed and eaten in 1901 after years of preaching the gospel in New Guinea. Theophany Venard was beheaded in what is now Vietnam. John Klein, before he was killed, said by faith, God does not acquiesce in the injustice and wrong that is being perpetrated in the world. Bernard Mazeki speared to death in what is now Zimbabwe. John Coleridge Patterson knew that there was considerable risk in serving as a missionary to the Solomon Islands, but said by faith, I don't think there is much cause for fear. He was clubbed to death shortly after he arrived. Likewise, John Mazuconi, who was killed by the locals of the South Pacific Island he'd come to minister to. James Gordon, who was killed by a blow from a stone axe as he sat, as he sat translating Stephen's last words, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. Joseph Mukosa Balakudembe, who, when he was condemned to be burned, refused to be bound. Why do you bind me, he said. Do you think I shall flee? I can flee only to God. Sunday Madumere, the Nigerian pastor who was locked in a burning house after leading many Muslims to Christ 15 years ago. Yesudasu killed in 2000 for preaching the gospel to the untouchables, the lowest caste in India. George Massey shot for attempting to plant a church in a village in Pakistan. Emmanuel Ander Gergish and Kibram Firmichel tortured to death after being arrested at a secret church meeting in Eritrea in 2006. The 21 Egyptian Christians beheaded by ISIS on a beach in 2015. Umang Tan who by faith urged his Christian friends to take the gospel to his home region before being executed in Myanmar. And this list is a tithe of a tithe of a tithe of a tithe of those who have been faithful unto death. According to Open Doors, a ministry somewhat similar to Voice of the Martyrs, in 2019, 2,983 Christians around the world were killed for their faith. In addition to that number, 3,711 were arrested or imprisoned, and almost 10,000 church buildings were attacked. Today, 260 million estimated, 260 million of our brothers and sisters around the world live in places where they experience extreme high levels of persecution just for following Jesus. Why do we continue to tell these stories? Why do we tell the stories of those who died serving Christ? It is not so that we will revere the martyrs. 
It is not so that we will feel guilty for having a weaker faith and not being willing to die for Christ or being in a position to die for Christ. It is not so that we will run away from Christ in terror at the way that believers have been treated throughout history and throughout the world and are being treated today. It is, in fact, precisely the opposite. It is easy for us to forget that we have an adversary The cultural air that we breathe leads us to believe that faith is good for making us feel a bit better about ourselves. But little more than that. It's a little emotional boost to get us through the day. That there is, as I say, an emotional solve unnecessary in light of the benefits that society offers, but maybe nice. That there is no risk, that there is no danger that faith is required to combat. That we are not opposed. And even when we remember that we are opposed, we tend to find our adversary in other people. Particularly this week, you will be tempted to find your adversaries in politicians and parties and their supporters rather than in principalities and powers. Likewise, you will be tempted to find your co-belligerents and even your Savior in politicians and parties and their supporters rather than in Christ and in your brothers and sisters. You may remember a few years ago the murder of the Charleston Nine in South Carolina. According to eyewitness testimony to the statements of the man who actually committed the crime, it was motivated by racial hatred. He wanted to start a race war. And I don't doubt that that's what he believed, that he believed that was what motivated his actions. But Dylan Roof and those like him, he is not our adversary. Our true adversary's motivation is much more subtle, more cunning than that. The attack took place in a church. The assailant, by all accounts, sat together with his victims in Bible study and prayer for over an hour before pulling out a gun and killing nine of them. It is said that the most segregated hour in in America is Sunday at 11 a.m. Because of that attack, the natural response of Christians in this country of any race must necessarily be to look with suspicion and fear when a member who isn't like us, a member of a different race, comes together for worship. Because of the tenor of politics today, Christians are strongly tempted to view those who disagree politically as unsaved and maybe unsavable. That is the goal of our true adversary. Not to start a race war, not to start a civil war over politics, but to deepen the mistrust, the fear that divides Christians from other Christians in this country and around the world. To divide the body of Christ. The response of the families of the victims in South Carolina giving forgiveness, praying for the perpetrator, almost praying for saving faith almost before Roof was even captured, shows that the Holy Spirit is at work in that congregation. That response is so far out of the normal human reaction to such an event that it can be nothing less than a miracle. The Holy Spirit of God intervening in the hearts of His children. God is at work in Charleston, South Carolina God is at work in Washington, D.C. and New York and Los Angeles and Brigham City and around the world. 
And Satan is doing everything he can to undermine God's work, to destroy it before it even gets gets going. Psalm 116 says that the death of the children of God is precious in the sight of the Lord. Not because He loves our death, but rather He loves our faithfulness unto death. We are pointed to the faithfulness of God when we look again at the death of His saints throughout history. The faith that we profess here today, the gospel that we proclaim here today with our words in our lives throughout the week That is the same faith that empowered believers throughout history to love Christ quite literally more than life. To hold the blessings of God as of greater value than mere continuance of days. We look at events like the murder of the Charleston Nine, the arrests and disappearances in, uh, at, at the early rain church in Chengdu, China, the wholesale slaughter of Christians in Nigeria and Eritrea and other places that continues even today. And our minds boggle, both at the depth of the evil that prompts such things, as well as the amazing faith and grace that has characterized the responses of those who are most closely affected by it. The God they worshipped that Wednesday night in Charleston, the God they worshipped this morning in Nigeria and Eritrea and Pakistan and China and everywhere else, is the same God that we worship here today. The Spirit who is giving believers in China the ability to stand up to one of the most repressive anti-Christian regimes in history is the same Spirit who lives in you, Christian. Their faith is the same faith that prompted Christians throughout time and across the world to give up the passing pleasures of this day and age, the pleasures of sin, and give themselves wholly to the service of God. Some by being killed. More by being faithful through however many days God chose to give them. Look at chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Let me read that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us... Also, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The cloud of witnesses referred to in verse 1 there is not, as is so often thought, the non-believers that populate our lives. This is not a plea to live righteous lives so that the people will, around us will see and turn to Jesus. That's a, valid, excuse me, that's a valid encouragement, but that's not what this passage is saying. This passage is a plea to trust Christ with everything, believing that He will be just as faithful in your life as He was in the lives of all those believers who've gone before, because they are the cloud of witnesses. They are the ones before whom we run. They give testimony not of our faithfulness or lack thereof, but of Christ's faithfulness. They are not testifying about us to God. They are testifying about God to us. They tell us by the record of their lives that He will be faithful to the end. He is defined by his faithfulness to his people, faithfulness to accomplish good for them, whether that 
equates to what we would think is good in the, what the world would call good or not at all. Because He is faithful. The testimony of those who have gone before us and proven His faithfulness. We are enabled to trust Him more. And that by that trust, to work hard to lay aside our sin and follow Him in whatever He leads, even to the shedding of our blood, even to our death, whether that death is imposed externally or the daily self-crucifixion of the old man, we follow Him into death. The image that the author uses here is of an endurance race, a marathon, something like that. I, ha- I, have, I don't run long-distance races, but I have friends who do, who are crazy enough to try that. Uh, they tell me that when you're in the midst of one of those long races, one of the most surprising things that you find is that people who are along the side of the race as you run it, shouting encouragement, has an amazingly... Uh, strong effect. Even if these are people that you've never met and will never meet, will never see again past that day, having someone, anyone, shout encouragement to you as you run can give an unexpected boost of energy. We are not meant to follow Christ alone. We are not lone rangers inventing it as we go. We are running the race, and those who have run it before us are lining the course and shouting encouragement, telling us again and again, Christ is faithful. Keep running. Don't drag the weight of your sin along with you. Lay it aside and run free. Focus on the God who loved you and who ran this race first. Focus on the rewards that are yours who finish by faith. Whether we are called to testify, to witness, which is what the word martyr means, is just the word for testify. Whether we are called to testify to Christ's love by our dying or by our living, we testify to Him by faith. In 1555, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer were burned at the stake. Their last words were these. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace as I trust shall never be put out. That is the faith that we share. That is our greatest hope. That our whole selves, whether in life or in death, will shine such a light of the grace of God as can never be quenched and can never be hidden because He is faithful. Now, Now we begin to become disciples. Amen.